0: It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarda, and I am your franchise host, I am the uh, founder of the Franchise Academy and author of *Franchise Savvy* and *The Magic of Choosing Uncertainty*. And for 16 years now, I've been helping people find the right franchise and understand the franchise industry and whether it's a good fit for them or not. If you're thinking about buying a franchise, investing, uh, diversifying your portfolio through franchise ownership, we should probably have a conversation. I have some good insights for you uh, and what to stay away from, and industries that you must definitely take a look at that you probably never thought about before. I also have a, a new online course. So if you go to the franchiseacademy.com or dot same website, you will find uh, the A to Z's on how to buy a franchise. It's an online video course. Everything that ever came out of my mouth about franchising is in those videos, everything you want to know. And it includes uh, a 110 page book, Uh, a workbook uh, following along, following the numbers on how to buy a franchise, basically. So today is interesting. I have a really cool uh, guest with me. His name is Chris Wallace. And so Chris is the president and co-founder of Interview Group. So it's not interview, but it's interview. And he considers himself an accidental entrepreneur, which I can't wait to hear more about. He started his company at age 31 after successful roles with PGA Tour and also Comcast. Chris, welcome to the Franchise Academy. Um, thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, this is so great. So you're based in Philly, so we have that Northeast vibe going on here today. Uh, right. I'm loving that. So give us the elevator pitch. What is Interview.
1: So, interview. Um, it kind of goes back with the the story of being an accidental entrepreneur. Um, you know, I've been a salesperson my whole career. Uh, some may say my whole life. And um, what we did, at, what we do at Interview, is we really help organizations. And better connect what they're doing on the marketing side and what they're doing with their brand and the people who are out representing them from salespeople to customer service. You know, a lot of industries we work in, there might be technicians or installers or really anybody who interfaces with the company, you know, making sure that what the the, the strategy that the, the brand people spend a lot of money on, right, the, the positioning, the messaging, all those things, that that message is coming through loud and clear in every single one of the customer touch points. That's a long way of saying we help take the brand, we translate it, and we market it to the people who work for you and who represent you, um, not necessarily directly to customers. It's a little bit of an indirect path, but we're making sure that the people who represent the brand believe in it and can tell that story consistently.
0: So interesting. So if you have a franchise and uh, it's traditional brick and mortar, um, I don't know, let's just call it McDonald's since everybody knows McDonald's. So instead of just working with the folks in Illinois at the corporate office you can actually work with franchise owners locally and really talk to their customer uh, or their I should say their employees about their values right their mission is is that what you're saying I think so so mission and values I I think is part of it we're
1: we're you know, to be really blunt, you know, we're a little bit less touchy feely with it. And we're much more about the value proposition, right? Why is it that people should want to do business with you? Not just about making them feel good about working there. That's part of it. But really at the end of the day, what we want to help organizations do is again, take all this money that they spent on building their brand and deciding who they want to be in the marketplace and making sure that what they're saying aligns with the actions of their people you know, who serve the customers every day? And I think maybe let's take an example of a franchise business that's maybe smaller than McDonald's, okay? I look at the franchise business and say, your brand is everything. it's It's what you're selling. When somebody buy you know buy into your franchise, th- this whole idea of the brand and the process and the execution and all of the all of the things that go into, You know, making your brand what it is and making it special in the marketplace, that's what they're paying for, that's what they're investing in. So making sure that you can really define what what the experience with your brand should be and then replicating that over time and time again and supporting your franchisees, supporting the people who invested in you so their people can deliver it, their employees can deliver time and time again. That's how the brand grows, right? That's how the reputation grows. And that's how you're going to be able to get a lot more people coming to you wanting to you know, buy into your franchise is if you really have a brand that's strong, not just to corporate, but all the way down at the point of customer contact.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So would you agree with this? Like, for me, I believe I'm going back to McDonald's. I believe McDonald's does not sell hamburgers, fries and shakes. What they sell is dependability and reliability. That's their value proposition, right? Okay, yep. Right. So is, is that what you're speaking of? Because like, I know that if whether I go into a McDonald's in New York or Philly, or Kansas or Florida, you know, Seattle, doesn't matter. When I order a Big Mac, I know what I'm getting, right? Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun every time.
1: (laughs) Yep. That's... Yeah, I think that reliability piece is, is a great point. You know, when, you know, when we think about the McDonald's brand, what is their brand promise? It's you can depend on us, you know what you're going to get. Um, you think about you know, one that comes up a lot with me and in, in, in talking about brands is Chick fil A, comes up a lot. Chick fil A, I jokingly say, Chick fil A did not decide to compete on chicken. Like they did not say, we're going to have the best chicken. Their chicken's really good, but that's not how they're competing. They're competing. They're selling an experience. You look at other players in the marketplace, you know, you could keep going through through quick serve restaurants. You know, you've got some that are selling, you know, f- fresh ingredients. You've got some that are some, it, It's it's something other than they're not. We're not selling tacos or burritos. We're not selling hamburgers. We're selling something else. Making sure that people understand that and understand the role they play in delivering that is so incredibly important.
0: Right, and and so how do you get? The folks that are there, you know, working a quote unquote job to, to buy into the, the brand. Yeah. I mean, so uh, that, that's the hard part, right? So,
1: especially when you're big and you've got, you know, if you're a franchise business that has people spread all over the place, that can be a challenge. Um, the way we start is we start by really building a feedback loop with those frontline teams. Okay. Um we're, we're big believers that if you want somebody to do something, the first thing you need to do is ask a question, not tell them something, right? Mm-hmm. It should be, it should be asking them their, their opinion. And we look at it as most brands have um spent a lot of money really, and especially bigger brands spend a lot of money to find out what their customers think. What do they think of us? What do they like? What do they not like? How is our brand position in the marketplace? But what we've done is we've built a tool called the brand transfer study. Mm-hmm. What the brand transfer study does is we say, okay, quite literally, how well is your brand transferring from your vision of corporate down through your employees to your customers? You know what your customers think, or most brands know what their customers think, but we're providing this feedback loop to the frontline teams to say, here's what the people who serve your customers think. Here's where they think you're strong. Here's where they think you're weak. Here's where they think the competition is beating you. And really understanding you know, what they believe and what they think is the first step in in reaching them. And I think that the big why behind, you know, if you were to ask the question of why should they want it, why should an organization want to know this, we look at it and say, with the perceptions of your frontline teams, and this could be, you know, somebody who's, who's working a register at a McDonald's, right? If you understand what they think, you can understand what they're likely to project onto your customer right? Mm-hmm. If, if if you know what their attitudes and perceptions are, you can get a sense of what they're likely to project on your customer, you can predict what those interactions might look like. That mindset is what we're trying to illuminate for for our clients and say, it's not enough just to know what the customer thinks. If you want to reach the customer, the path and the gateway to the customer is the people who serve them.
0: Right. So what I'm what I'm actually hearing also and I'm sure you guys thought about this too. Is if you are engaging your employees, even you know hourly, you know non-skilled labor, um, in a conversation about here's our mission, here's our brand, how do you feel about it? Um, it adds to uh, retention for that for the employee. I, I you know it's like hey they they care about what I think about their stupid mission, you know, because <laughs> that's probably what a hourly employee would say. <laughs> and Did, my they came say that Chick fil A? Would they say to Chick Fil A?
1: No. no, they wouldn't, right? So, so the 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 notion that this is this is too hard to do, um, you know, what, what's the statistic that a Chick Fil A a Chick Fil A um, typical location does like fifteen percent more business than the average McDonald's or Burger King location in one less day per week. Okay, so they're not open Sundays. So think about that. Think about whether or not those investments pay off and whether it's too hard. Um, Look at it from the perspective of Chick-fil-A and say, their business performance more than justifies the time and effort that they put into building out their brand, and making sure that when somebody says it's my pleasure to serve you, um, that they mean it and any customers aren't stupid. They know wh- when, when, when the person saying that actually means it versus they're, they're paying lip service. Look at the commercials that they do. They're all about the employees going above and beyond and understanding the customer. And what I would put back to you, Tom, is McDonald's has been the example we've been talking about thus far. Who has a bigger impact on the perception of the McDonald's brand, the CMO or the people that work drive throughs Right. Think about that. Who has you talk about unskilled hourly employees? Who has a bigger impact on how customers, consumers perceive the McDonald's brand? The people who work in the restaurants or the CMO? I'll argue it's the people who work in the restaurants all day
0: long. Oh, I'm with you on that. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. And that's why I want to have you on because you you have this kind of inside inside scoop, I guess, uh, insightful. And and um love that. And I wanted to just say that. You had brought up that stat about 15% over McDonald's. Uh, Another way I say it is a Chick-fil-A, one unit will do more than a McDonald's, a Chipotle, and a Subway combined.
1: I mean, it's... and that's just one example. You could go into other industries too, but obviously your, you you know, your audience is in the franchise space. And I think there's, there's examples throughout, you know, throughout the, the franchise space. I'm an, I'm an investor in a, in a franchise business. I don't own a franchise, but I've invested in a franchise business and I've seen what it takes to build that brand. And, you know, the, the consistency, right. franchising is all about a playbook. Right. You have to have a playbook that can be repeated over and over and over again. Understanding how to connect that playbook and and, and make that playbook a, a great reflection of the brand that you want to be and have it be something that a franchisee can pick up and then replicate with their people. It's so important. And it's one thing to say, well, here's the POS system that we use, and here, you know, here's where you order your cleaning supplies from, and here's where you get your blenders from, so on and so forth. It's another thing to have the experience. And this is, you know, ultimately, where, where all of this is going is the customer experience has to stand out, right? That's why you say consistency is what McDonald's selling, as opposed to hamburgers. The experience is what's going to make people decide to do business with you or not decide to do business with you. I don't care what kind of franchise business you're in, you're delivering a customer experience in some way, shape or form, defining what experience you want to deliver, and being able to replicate it, I would think it's got to be in your top three priorities for your business.
0: It really should be, if it's not. <laughs> so when you conduct the brand transfer study, is that, um, is that paperwork? Is that interviewing? Like, what, what does that look like? It, it's actually, it looks a lot like market
1: research. So um, it, it's a market research tool that we've sort of adapted for the internal audiences, but it's a it's an electronic link. It's delivered via any any internet enabled device. It works great on mobile. The tool that we use works great on mobile. And um they take, they take between seven and a half and eight minutes to complete. So a lot of people say, because businesses that we work in are larger brands and they have a lot of frontline employees, hourly employees that don't necessarily have the time they have to clock out and things like that. So, so in finding time in the margins isn't easy so that you can't exactly send them a 40 minute assessment. Um, but we've, we've worked with, you know, worked with a firm that, uh, you know, comes from the market research industry and we've, like I said, adapted it and gotten into the point where we can gather a tremendous amount of information and, and, and really crunch a lot of numbers with seven minutes, you know, seven and a half minutes worth of responses from your team. So,
0: wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So if, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like CEOs of franchises that are listening in now on to this interview. So this is really, um, it's two levels for them because it's the franchise owners and then it's the staff as well. And it's yep. those staff members that are having a larger impact on, no you know, the reviews on Yelp, you know, and things like that. Yep. So it's really um, a, a really cool niche. That, that you have identified. Outside of franchising though, I know you work with a lot of companies. What are other examples that people might recognize to say, Oh, you know, these guys really are dialed in all the way down to the uh, employees on the front line.
1: So a couple examples of, you know, companies that we've worked with, you know, we've done work with blue Nile jewelry, which is a, a, a good size, um, uh, online uh, jewelry brand. They've been around since the the dot com boom of of the turn of the twenty first century. Um, you know, we did work with them, and really, you know, what it came down to with them is, uh, you know, aligning their brand with their customer experience. Right, looking at the way they were doing their marketing, look at their strategy, compare it to what they're doing from a customer experience perspective, and determine what some of those gaps were, and. Sometimes the, and I like the, the Blue Nile example, just because sometimes the answers are pretty obvious, right? Things reveal themselves really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it really is the difference between, I'm going to use a phrase from a CMO uh, that, that uh, I'm friends with, who said the phrase, we're going to do, we're going to do a great job of getting the words right. But the, the problem is, we can talk the talk, but are we going to walk the talk, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think of brands that spend so much, invest so much in marketing, And then when it comes time to walk the talk and make sure that the experience backs up the brand promise, um, you know, a lot of them fall down. So Blue Nile would be an example of a brand we work with. We work with a lot of brands, but from a consumer perspective, that's one that has an excellent reputation for for their customer service. And they actually, you know, believe it or not, their reputation for customer service was actually in some ways hurting them from a performance standpoint. They were so focused on serving the customer that they forgot what serving the customer meant customers you know serving the customer meant they got away from that a little bit so uh, that would be one example i would use
0: yeah yeah that's very cool so um so going back into to my history a little bit i used to work for the uh, new york city subway system and so there's always an issue with motivating employees in that kind of situation because they're they're always like you know can you uh do i get overtime out of this do i get more money if i do this you know what i mean and so years ago, going back into the early to mid-90s, I worked with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Uh, John Diekman in New York. He was hired to help conductors make better announcements. And I worked with him for four years. So yeah, he hired me to help con- to teach classes on making announcements on the trains and in the stations. And we, in those classes, we never once talked about how to make an announcement we talked about how to be a better person internally and a better person for your family. And that's what really pushed the envelope to the point where the analysis was getting letters about great announcements, which was always, it was the opposite, you know, for a hundred years. And and so is that the kind of thing that you're talking about is to try to get kind of under the skin of the employee, if you will, like really getting them to understand that, it's a lot more than just saying, you know, hello and, and thank you and that kind of thing. Yes, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't have said it better myself, Tom. I, the way you you know,
1: it's it's an influence based strategy. And and I want to I want to I want to unpack that from minute. I know that sounds like consultant speak. What I mean by that is, is the difference between saying, you know, New York, you know, New Yorkers, I'm from upstate New York originally, by the way, not not the city, but I'm from upstate and New Yorkers have a reputation for being direct. Well, you know sometimes the way you know the way you get somebody to do something is help them identify the answer for themselves. let the answer reveal itself, and the actions and behaviors are going to follow once it's their idea versus you know this is what you need to do. top down, say this, do this. Um that doesn't work. i, I, I can I can tell you flat out that trying to drive cultures of compliance in 2021, heading into 2022, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, Everything is an influence-based strategy. There's... Companies making a lot more money than mine is who are driving you know internal influence based you know leadership inside organizations because it's all about building coalitions. It's all about you know uh, you know building respect and building you know empathetic leadership that's drawing people into the process. And it's not about telling people what to do. There's a lot of organizations that have good plans, but they where they fall down is the execution. A lot of times the execution is failure to get people on board. So um, it goes back to what you said: is help them see the path on their own and help it you know let it reveal itself versus telling them what to do
0: So Chris, it sounds also like um, true leadership right because I always feel that there's a big difference between a leader of an organization and the manager. Um, the managers needs to realize that they're you, you don't manage people you lead people you manage people work you know what I mean right so so do you do a lot really on at the c-suite as well trying to get those folks? To, to change if, if that's noted, you know, maybe that's part of the process, right? We get asked that question a lot,
1: Tom, to be totally honest. And I think that the, the best way I can answer it is this. Um, it, we sort of do it the same way that I just described. We do it the same way with leadership, which is we, our, our point to, to a, an executive, mostly on the marketing side, is pretty simple. It is as soon as you start listening to your people who are in the trenches, you're winning. As soon as you make the decision to gather feedback from them, what you're able to do with that and what those insights can can do for you from, from a strategy perspective, from a leadership perspective, are, are um, they're, they're hard to quantify, right? There's so many different ways you can go with it. And I'll give you an example. What we find is most organizations hire us and they say, we need to get our people on message. Okay. We we need to drive a message down. And we gather the input from the frontline teams. And the same thing always ends up happening. They always look at the data and they say, well, maybe we have it wrong. Maybe it's not them who has it wrong. Maybe we should be shaping our strategy based partially on what our frontline teams are seeing every single day, rather than just the research that we have, or rather than our hunches, right? Or rather than just industry data. Maybe listening to our people is a great way to shape our strategy. So from that perspective, I would say that we are helping them. We don't go in and tell them we're going to knock their heads together and make them better leaders, but by sharing with them a new perspective, the perspective they don't have from their frontline teams, it really opens their eyes, and I think it reveals ways for them to be leaders in better ways. So I wouldn't say the core of what we're doing is leadership development, but there definitely is an element of, we talk about a lot about alignment, right? Getting leaders aligned around an approach. And it's a lot easier to get aligned around an approach when you're working off of data than hunches, right? Mm-hmm. When you get got a whole bunch of people who have their own hunches and they're competing for, no, my hunch is the right one. When you can look at some data and people can you know, look at those, those insights and say, yes, that path is a little bit more obvious now. That makes sense. Now you've got a leadership team that's aligned. When they're aligned, the, the results downstream with the frontline teams are a lot better.
0: No, I totally agree. And just a personal example, and it's not about me, but I think you'll, this will resonate. So the, the founder of the company I work with called FranChoice, uh, Jeff Elgin, just a brilliant guy, one of the smartest people I ever met. So when when he has like decisions to make, or big strategy decisions on on the momentum of the company and which direction and all that kind of stuff, he'll pull together people that are on the front lines doing the consulting like me every single day, and that's how he makes his decisions. I mean, right? It, it's brilliant, right? That that's the kind of stuff you're talking about. Um, and just recently, I got to say, maybe three years ago, he decided we do a conference twice a year, and he said, "Hey, instead of like the home office." planning the conference could i have some volunteers that are consultants every day you plan the conference tell us what you want and it just the dynamic of everything changed it was always a good conference and it went from good to great um to (laughs) not to quote books here but um that is really um i just thought it was a brilliant thing and that's it sounds like you know he's on the wavelength that that you're teaching companies all over the country were.
1: i think that's true and i think that it's just counterintuitive to a lot of companies especially bigger companies they they, they really do think that top, you know the traditional thought is a top-down leadership style is is how you're going to get results and um i just think that people find that there's there, there's this sense that you give up control if you mm-hmm. go about it that way if you if you listen to the frontline teams if you make them you know part of the process that you're going to give up control but you know, anybody who's been in sales knows that the best way to, to to gain control in a conversation is to give it up a little bit and to ask questions and to really understand your audience more. And that's what we're trying to do with organizations is help them understand this audience better so they can make better business decisions. They want to reach their customers, understand what's happening in the trenches.
0: Yeah, it's it's great. And you said a phrase before that I think is the kind of opposite of what you want to hear when you talk to a CEO. He said, "Like, oh, you know, they they bring us in and say we we have to drive our message, you know, to the staff, and and just that phrase, drive the message. It's like that's not how you get things done, right? So it's about nurturing the message (laughs) and and let it kind of trickle down and not drive it. (laughs) So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a different
1: word on it. Okay, take the word drive out. Um, sell the message." Right. And I know that that sales, you know, sales, some people think of it as a as a a, a form of a four-letter word. But the reality is, you know, we look at it as the, the people who, you know, people who serve your customers on the front lines, if you look at them in, as an audience to be won over, as opposed to an audience to be driven, you know, to drive down that message. If you sell them on the ideas and really help them see, you know, what what's compelling about it, right? Try to convince them. Don't assume that they they just have to do it and they have to comply. If they're convinced, think about the difference between what they're going to deliver for your customers, the level of passion and enthusiasm they're going to deliver for your customers if they're convinced that your story is a good one. It's a big difference. Set that bar a little bit higher and try to convince your frontline teams. You're going to have much better results and you're going to have much greater consistency. And again, in a franchise space, consistencies, I I just can't think of anything that's more important in the franchise space than consistency.
0: Yeah, that's the name of the game consistency all day long. So you worked for Comcast. And before that, I think it was the PGA. What, what did you do for them? Uh, sales and marketing in, in both instances. So
1: uh, with the PGA tour, I worked for their uh, tournament players club network, uh, doing sales and marketing and then um, similar similar skills brought over to Comcast and their entertainment division. I, I, I worked in sales and marketing with the Golf Channel and a variety of the other properties that are now part of the NBC Universal family. So yeah. um, I was there through that transition and um, got to work with some great entertainment brands over the years.
0: Yeah. So how did the accident happen? Um- That's the accident.
1: <laughs> that that's the accident was um the um uh, when when I worked for Comcast and uh they went through um the, the acquisition of NBC Universal, mm-hmm. uh, that meant that a lot of jobs were being relocated and things like that. And I didn't want to relocate. And the opportunity sort of presented itself to um to really start my own thing and to start um doing this work of helping the product and strategy and marketing people connect with their frontline teams and get that message downstream the right way and build that feedback loop. And it all, it really happened by accident. I didn't fall out of bed one day and say, you know, I'm know I'm, I'm going to be a, you know, entrepreneur come, come hell or high water. It was really something that sort of evolved, you know, naturally. And um, I'm not going back. I I love, I love running a small business. I love my team and um, we love working with clients. So I'm not going back.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. i love to hear that. Are there any books that you've read um, that have changed significantly uh, your trajectory in in business? So I'm going to
1: answer this in an unconventional way. okay? Okay. Um, I'm one of those guys that um, I love reading business books, I'll I'll, I'll devour business books. And you get to a point where some of the business books start to sound the same, like, or, or I shouldn't say sound the same, you read business books, and there's so much logical thought in there. And I feel like I, I found myself over a period of time, reading business books and saying, I, I don't know why, Companies don't do more of the stuff that's in these books. Like in theory, all this stuff is great, but in practice, we're not seeing these things done very often. So, my answer to your question is going to be I always read business books. You mentioned Good to Great. I read Good to Great on my honeymoon, okay, <laughs> which is not a joke. I read Good to Great on my honeymoon. But um, over the last couple of years, I had a friend really open my I would never read um, fiction. I would never read fiction. And a friend of mine recommended a book during the pandemic, a series of books. And I really got into that. And I found that stepping out of the, the business and X's and O's of running a business and thinking about through the things through the lens of human relationships and, and the way that drama plays out in, 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 a, in a novel and things like that, I found that that was, I don't know, giving me better perspective somehow. So I don't know if it's one single book that I would say, but kind of switching my strategy from looking for business answers in in business books and more thinking about stories and relationships and, and and the way that people, you know, what makes people tick through the lens of a fiction and through a not, you know, fiction book and a novel really helped me gain some perspective on how I was as a leader. Um it, it really interesting the way that things shake out, but um that would be my answer is I, I started reading a series of books last year that I feel like gave me more perspective on being a leader than business books did. Wow. Um... I have to ask, what book was it, or what series? So uh, there's there's a, um, a, a the author's name is uh, Frederick Bachman, um, and he's had several bestsellers. But the the books that I read, um, it's the Bear Town series. The first book is called Bear Town. Um, it's about it's about hockey in in the the depths of the forest of Sweden. And, um, but it's, it's basically Friday night lights for hockey, but, um, just incredible character exploration and truly like there's one character in particular, I found myself thinking about how I led by the example of this teenage kid in in the book. And again, feeling like being drawn into that story helped me attach to things I need to be better at. So, Hmm. um, I never would have thought that would have happened because I was never a fiction reader. But through the pandemic, I found that to really help me, you know, in my day to day work and, you know, really gleaning stuff from from the fiction that I'm reading.
0: Yeah, maybe it's almost like um, for some people holding up a mirror to um, to yourself about what how you act and seeing a different reflection. So that is great. Any good novel is
1: going to be relatable, right? Any good novel is going to be relatable. And I think that you start to see things, you start to associate things with your own life or your own, you know, your own circumstance. And it it forces you to be a little bit introspective. Dare I say, it forces you to take a bit of an
0: interview. Dare I say. There you go. (laughs) I like that a lot. Take that interview. Are there any um, technical apps that you like to use on a regular basis for business? Anything that you would want to share with with folks?
1: Apps that we use on a regular basis. Um, trying to think of like the the productivity tools. We I mean we we are big fans of uh, Expensify. So people that are in you know that have expenses and things like that. We've been using Expensify for years. We use a great um, project management tool called Rike, and I think it's W R I K E. Um, mm-hmm. we our team is all we jokingly call it riked up everybody's got their you know their their marching orders through reich so it's a way we keep track mm-hmm. of things um and then really over the pandemic we've we've really you know we've become power users of the the microsoft 365 suite so mm-hmm. teams and the, the the team's chat functions sharepoint all of that are really mainstays of our company so um mm-hmm. good old microsoft so right. they're they're, they're, they're everywhere, but yeah. their products are pretty good. So
0: yeah. Yeah. And they're definitely, they're intuitive and they get work done for you. So.
1: I have one more that I will recommend. This is, this is off the radar. We, we use a tool called BombBomb, bomb bomb, B-O-M-B-B-O-M-B. And I actually, I appeared on uh, one of the, the, uh, I believe he's one of the founders. His uh, name named Ethan Butte. Um, I appeared on his podcast. And what BombBomb is, is it's a a video encoding tool um, that basically it's a little plugin for your web browser. And instead of sending somebody an email that says, following up with you on that note that I sent last week, you can send a quick video snippet. So think of it like voicemail like a video voicemail meets email. And you can email this quick little clip. It stores it, encodes it, gives you a, a clip that you can, you can copy and paste in very quickly. Um, it's really cool. We have found it a great way to stay connected, especially with clients, definitely with prospects too, but really with our clients. We're sending them notes. We're thanking them when they do something great. Um, we're thanking our people when they do something great. It's an excellent personalized communication tool. So we swear by bomb,
0: bomb on our team. Yeah. Yeah. BombBomb is great. I know them. Um, there's Loom, which does the same thing and Vidyard, which I've been using for a long time now. Um, so yeah, that's great stuff. And that's the next wave. I think that's, that's where we're going next. Everything will just be video and not voice for sure. sure. So that's cool. And, um, what is one myth that you would like to break about, um, what you guys do and, and, uh, helping companies grow through their employees?
1: We jokingly, call a lot of the work we do, we refer to as myth busting. You know, we're we're doing our our brand transfer study does a lot of myth busting. I would say the biggest myth is that what we do is the same thing as employee engagement. Um, There's an element of, of employee engagement in what we do. But, you know, the difference between a brand transfer study and employee engagement survey you know, think of it as employee engagement surveys are about your satisfaction in the workplace. Um, what we do is about your perceptions of the brand you represent. And they're very different. Our, our, what we do is very much targeted toward um, customer interactions. We are all about improving the quality and the results of customer interactions. They're precious, right? You don't, Nobody gets enough of them. Nobody has more customer interactions than they want. So, making sure that those customer interactions are are delivered with confidence, with passion, with, with with enthusiasm and pride, that's very different in our mind than than employee engagement, which is around compensation and benefits and snacks in the break room or what's in the vending machine or whatever the case may be. What we do really is it's tangentially related to that, but they're not the same thing.
0: Right. Well said. So, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or your team, what's the best way to do that?
1: Best way to find me is through LinkedIn. Now, Chris Wallace is not an uncommon name. So I encourage people look for interview and look for Philadelphia because that's where we're located, is in Philadelphia. Um, website is interviewgroup.com. And like you said, Tom, it's I N N E R View as opposed to interview. And then finally, brandtransferstudy.com. Mm. That's really the, the hub for what we're doing with, with that tool. It's a proprietary process that we have. We've got a great explainer video that really talks about how we do it. So I would encourage people to check out brandtransferstudy.com.
0: Brandtransferstudy.com. And we'll put it in the notes. So if you go to franchiseacademy.com and look for this podcast, all the information will be there, all the contact information for Chris and his team in Philly. So Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. It's, it's been insightful. This is unbelievable stuff. Tom, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Have a great one.
1: You too. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.